Hello, people. I need for you to put your thinking cap on. And if you have a buckle for your seat, I need for you to buckle your seatbelt. And then by all means, I want you to ask the Lord to help you in this moment to exercise self-control. I want you to, to focus on what I am saying. I'm going to ask you a question. I want you to answer the question, but you have to put on your thinking cap. You have to buckle your seatbelt. And by all means, you have to, you have to operate under self-control because this can get away from you. This can send you down many, many rabbit trails, and you will start, you'll start piling things on to what I'm not asking. Are you ready? This is episode 304. Here's the question. It's the title of the episode. Do Zoom meetings mean you're forsaking the assembly? Talking about the text in Hebrews 10.25. This is a simple, straightforward question that has a monosyllabic answer. I'm going to go ahead and give you the answer, and then I'm going to work through it. The answer is absolutely, without question, no. No. Zoom meetings do not mean that you are forsaking the assembly, according to Hebrews 10.25. How easy was that? The last couple of years for the church have been the equivalent of a shaken snow globe, continuously. The tumbling has been unabated. And, and many in the Christian community are worn and despairing and frustrated. And I think that I have been at different, <laughs> at different mile markers. I have been all three of these things, worn, despairing, and frustrated. And many of you have as well. And one of the hot-button issues at the epicenter of our complaint is an inability to assemble in our weekly church context the way that we have always done it. And I am talking about a, a physical building, whether it's in a strip mall or a building standing out on the plain, a, a building where the entire local assembly comes together to do church. That is the way that we always do it. Some of you have never done it any other way. And so in this episode, I was asked the question, and so I'm going to respond to the question again. Here it is. Are we forsaking the assembly because of what's going on in our culture with the coronavirus and shutdowns and so forth? Are we forsaking the assembly according to Hebrews 10.25? For those of you who are not familiar with 10.25, let me read it to you right now. Not, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. The admonition here is do not neglect meeting together. Do not abandon meeting together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And that's why you want to meet together. You want to encourage one another, and you want to do it all the more as you see the day drawing near. And so this is episode 304. The title is the question, do Zoom meetings mean you're forsaking the assembly? The answer is no. Do you still have your thinking cap on? Have you buckled your seatbelt? And are you exercising self-control? Hello, everyone. I am Rick Thomas, and you're listening to Life Over Coffee. As always, if you have any questions that you want to ask me, Please uh, jump on our—we have free community forums for anybody in the world. You have access—if you're hearing this podcast, you have access to the Internet. So come on, come on over to our house, 
and you can ask whatever question you wish. For those of you who underwrite the ministry, who are investing in what we're doing financially, you have a private forum, and I want you to talk on it. And again, same process, ask whatever question you may have, whether it's about this or something else. Now, what I want to do is I want to ramp up to the question, and so this podcast will be divided in half. The first half, I really want to spend some time talking about calibrating our hearts before we move into getting into a more thorough response to the question rather than my monosyllabic no that I gave you at the top of the podcast. But it is important that we calibrate our hearts when you're going into an emotional topic. I need to do it. You need to do it. Many of you who are married and you've been in that situation where there was something that come between you and your spouse and it was emotional and you had the ready, fire, aim thing that happened and, of course, you live to regret it. And there may not be a more emotional topic within the church, well, other than critical race theory, But there may not be a more critical topic than the coronavirus and the shutdowns and governmental interference. And so, and and please understand, I am not answering all of those questions. I just did a podcast, the one before this, episode 303, where someone asked, well, Rick, what are we supposed to do? Just passively sit by and just let them take over? I answered that question definitively in that podcast, and I would love for you to read it. The question there was, should we passively Watch our Constitution erode, as a man sent in that question, and I responded to him in in episode 303. I also said in that podcast, because this problem has so many strands to it, that I'm probably going to do multiple podcasts. And I know I have at least one more that I'm going to do, and so this is the second one. I'm going to do a third one. I may be doing a fourth and fifth. I don't know. But because there's so many strands, and when you bring up the subject, people start running down like a like a spider web. They just go into all sorts of different directions, and all of that is important. But what I want you to do to focus on this podcast, I want you to focus on one thing, not two, not five. And the one thing is, are we forsaking assembling by doing Zoom meetings? Now, let's ramp up to that because you don't want to do ready, fire, aim. And so I want to give you five preliminary thoughts, things that I really want you to take to heart, and I want to take them to heart as well, that these things must be affecting us and impacting us, because if they aren't, then when we get into the discussion, well, the discussion can go in some hurtful ways. It can go into some unedifying ways, and we do not want to do that. And so as we ramp up, the first of five is, I titled it, Gratitude Always. Paul said, be thankful for everything. I'm not going to quote Thessalonians here, but I do want to share with you Philippians 2. Paul also said this, do things without grumbling or disputing You may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and and twisted generation. How relevant is that? We want to not grumble, not dispute. We want to be blameless, innocent children who are in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, no question. And he went on to say, among whom you shine as lights in the world. 
Well, one of the ways that you shine as a light with this, is with an attitude of gratitude. I heard this sermon by Tom Pennington. I, I do not know Tom, but the sermon was recommended to me, and I did listen to it. And it was very good. Actually, it was a two-part sermon. But in, in one of those sermons, he, he gave this illustration, and so I, I took it and I've adapted it, about this idea of gratitude, of not grumbling. And I want to use the illustration that he gave. When your child protests against what you are doing, what attitude would be acceptable to you? I mean, what, what mood would you want from your child? What words would you want them to convey to you about their perspective? How would you want them to do that? We encourage our children to have a voice in, in what we're doing as a family. They are in the young adult years, in the teenage window, and we want them to speak into what we are doing. We want to hear their opinions, their preferences. But what we don't appreciate and what we don't permit, by the way, are bad attitudes in how they voice their opinions. And so now let's make this an application for the local church, for you, a church member. The evaluation that every church member must make about their disagreements is their attitude toward the leadership in areas where they disagree. And so please have your preferences, have your perspective, have your opinion, your worldview, your presupposition, share it. But the question I'm asking is, how do you share it? How would you want your children to share their differing opinion with you? Well, of course, you want them to do it with kindness and grace and humility. You want them to be clear. You want them to be direct. You want them to be concise. You want them to share what they are thinking, but the attitude does matter. Point number one, as we move into this discussion about do Zoom meetings mean you're forsaking the assembly, is your heart characterized by gratitude? Number two, division. It's kind of similar. But Paul said in 1 Corinthians, he said, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and there'd be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and same judgment. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. What I mean is that each one of you says, I, I follow Paul, I follow Apollos, I follow Cephas, I follow Christ. Let there be no division among you. Well, why can't we do it like that church? Why can't we do it like the other church? When people leave a conversation with you, are they more drawn to their church? Are they more drawn to their leadership? Are they more drawn to God? Do they leave more healed or hurt after talking to you? I'm not talking about lockstepping. I'm not talking about saluting the flag. I'm not talking about everybody having the same, the same perspective on this matter. I'm talking about having no division. There are five of us in this family, and we have five different perspectives on virtually everything. But we're united. We're not a divided family. And that is the point that I'm making, point number two. Number one, gratitude. Number two, no division. Number three, joyous pastoring. Hebrews 13, 17 says this, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls. As those who will have to give an account, let them do this with joy, not with grumbling, or not with groaning, rather, for that would be of no advantage to you. What I would like for you to do, especially some of you need to do this, 
you, you need to go to your pastor and you need to ask him this question, am I a joy? Pastor, am I a joy for you to pastor? When you think of me, do you think of joy or do you groan in your soul? Am I a joy for you to shepherd me? Again, I'm not talking about absolute submission where you absolutely salute the flag and lockstep with everything that they're doing. I am not saying that at all. But my children, our children, are a joy to parent even though they have different opinions. What about you in your local church? Number four, I want to talk about unwanted adaptations. Now we're getting more into the heart of this idea of Zoom meetings, which is the specific question that I'm answering juxtaposed to Hebrews 10.25. Life is full of adaptations. Most of them, there's some people that I guess they relish change, but most of us don't. We don't like to adapt, but we do. We can adapt, and the church has been called to adapt over the past year because of what's going on with the coronavirus. It, uh, th- this past week, I was talking to my friend Will, who went to a business meeting in Vail, Colorado, as he was going down the street, someone yelled at him, put on your mask. He called him. He said it was a, a male Karen is what he said. It's like, seriously? Now, Will lives in a conservative state like what I do or in a conservative area, and it's just not that big of a deal. What did Will do? It was an unwanted adaptation. He complied. He put on his mask because they have mandatory laws about mask wearing. Last month, January of 2021, Lucia and I flew to Sarasota, Florida for a conference that we did with Daniel Berger. The condition for flying the airplane, flying in the airplane, was wearing a mask. What did we do? We complied. It was an unwanted adaptation. As far as my perspective on masks at this point, last year I wore a mask whenever I went out and I did comply. I did that for a limited amount of time. But my default default position right now is I don't wear a mask anywhere. When I leave, I don't wear a mask anywhere. Now, I live in a mostly conservative state. Now, some of you might have a hard time uh, uh, getting your mind around that because that's just not your narrative because of where you live. Now, I do carry a mask in my pocket, and if I'm in a situation where I have to don a mask, I put it on like Starbucks or Trader Joe's. I, I comply. Now, you've done this too. All of you have done this. You've complied. It's an unwanted adaptation. Change came, and you might not have liked it, but you complied with the mask mandate because you were in a place where they asked you to put on a mask, and you didn't want to, but you also didn't want to leave, and so you accommodated them by putting on a mask. My point here is that adapting is something that that we all do, though we might not prefer it. Now, for some of you who are struggling with your local church on this secondary preference of wearing a mask— and your church is saying that you have to wear a mask and you don't want to wear a mask. And so you, you're really, you're not a joy to pastor. It's causing division. You, you don't have a heart of gratitude, but there's inconsistency here because you have complied in other areas in your community, in your city, in your, in your county. You have complied because they ask you to wear a mask and you put on a mask. You might not like it, but you did it. 
And so if you're struggling that way and your church leadership is having a, like, say, a 100% mask mandate, I wouldn't like that either. I'm going to be honest with you. But you can do that with joy, and you can do that with gratitude, and you can do that without dividing. We all have experienced unwanted adaptations, and there's a way in which we do that. Now, we're talking about secondary issues here. If we're talking about the gospel, then there's no adaptation at that point. There are some things where—and each person will have to work that out. And if you're in a situation in your church and you don't like a secondary preference— that's being mandated, then you will have to make a, a decision. But what you can't do is you, you can't be a, an unjoyous person to pastor. You can't be dividing, and you, you can't lose your gratitude. And so number four is unwanted adaptations. And then number five, convenient standards. And what I mean by that is that we have a way of living the Christian life that is convenient to us. And this is very difficult for us in America because we are seeing the erosion of this in a more intense way than other countries around the world because no other country has the freedoms and and the blessingness and the convenience of being a Christian like America does. And so it's intensified for us and so we're having we have convenient standards and I want you to think through this because our standards are changing. I want to give you some what you may find as humorous illustrations of this and as I look back on it they are humorous now but in the day they were not humorous they were very serious to me. In my former life I was a a fundamental baptist and fundamental baptists have a lot of standards. And these standards are on a gospel level. They are written in stone. One of our standards was that we would not go to a grocery store that sold cigarettes or alcohol. Now, we had a community cash grocery store in town. And a community cash grocery store did not sell cigarettes or alcohol. We had a convenient standard. We had an out. We had a way of maintaining our standard. Of course, then community cash went out of business. I think that was the Lord's sense of humor to this legalistic soul. And so we had to buy groceries from stores. Please, don't judge me. But they sold alcohol. They sold liquor and cigarettes, and we had to go into those stores to buy our groceries because we couldn't eat. We had no choice. We had a convenient standard. Now, that may be humorous to some of you, but that was a big deal for me. It was a conscience issue back then, and I had to wrestle through it. Here's one more. I recall the first time I heard of a church not meeting three times a week. Think about it. Paul met in a red—Paul the Apostle met in a red rectangular building with a steeple on top, and he met three times a week, Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. And if it was good enough for Paul, it's good enough for me. And my friend told me that his church only meets one time a week. I thought that my friend and his church were heretical. That was a big deal. You see, standards and preferences are convenient when there is no challenge to them. But when circumstances change, we must humbly reevaluate our positions no matter how much we, we don't like it. 
And one of the questions, and this is a serious question here, that you have to ask yourself, are masks, are Zoom meetings the hills that you want to die on? Now, maybe it is for you. I, I don't know. Maybe it is. Some people, it is. It is the hill they're going to die on, and and I'm not, I, I'm not going to debate that. Uh, I, I respect their position, and I, I want to pray for them that this is how they are going, but each one of us, we have to ask and answer those questions. The most vital key, of course, is preaching the gospel. Now, if your church does not preach the gospel, then you should leave your church. That's, that's of the highest order. And I am not, and I don't, want, I don't want you to hear that I'm minimizing congregating. But I do know that we have an American-centric view of the church, and I know that it can harm a person's soul. Is your church—here's another question that you really need to think through, especially if you're struggling with this idea of Zoom meetings. Is your church sinning by doing Zoom meetings while not holding in-person meetings? Or you could just ask the question, is your church sinning by doing Zoom meetings and you have a hybrid? You have in-person and Zoom meetings. But the question is, however your church is working through this, are the leaders sinning? That's a big question, and you need to think carefully about it. Are they sinning? And if your answer is yes, then what is your biblical argument for your position? Because if they are sinning, then you have to make your case by confronting your leaders. It is your biblical Christian responsibility to confront a sinning brother. And so is your church sinning by doing Zoom meetings or whatever configuration of meetings that they're having that includes non-in-person meetings? If they are not sinning, but you are because of this, meaning that you still are holding on to a convenient standard, you don't embrace this unwanted adaptation, you're not a joy to pastor, you're creating division, you're, you're a grumbler, not a person with gratitude. Well, if that is you, then you need to repent because you will harm your soul and you will take others down with you. Now, those are five preliminary thoughts, and you're welcome to read uh, these show notes, episode 304, because we do want to carefully guard our hearts as we move into any emotional topic. And now I want to come to the question— are we forsaking assembling? I've already given you the answer. No, we're not. Now, I'm talking about real churches. I'm talking about Christian churches. I'm not talking about these fringe churches, these fringe pastors, you know, whatever. I'm not talking about them. I, I know they're out there, and, and, and they're weird, but I'm talking about normal Christians. Here's the, verse, the two verses, Hebrews 10, 24, and 25. The writer said, Let us consider how to stir one another up to loving good deeds. Here it is, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Not neglecting or forsaking is another way that this word is interpreted, uh, translated into English. Forsaking or neglecting in context 
It means deserting something like a teen running away from home. You are intentionally running away from something. You are distancing yourself from something on purpose. You are forsaking. You are neglecting. You are abandoning something. You see, the Hebrew writer goes to great lengths to talk about falling away, leaving the faith, abandoning the body of Christ. You could read Hebrews 5, verses 11 through 620. There is a long passage there where he is bringing strong language to people who abandon the faith. Even before Hebrews 5, in 3.13, he says this, I exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. He is warning us that we don't get in this this position where we're hardened by sin. We leave the faith, we fall away, we abandon the body of Christ. All of that is the context to Hebrews 10 where he says, again, is there so much redundancy that runs through this letter? We need to consider how to stir one another up to love and good deeds, not neglecting meeting together as the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as we see the day approaching. If you believe that forsaking in this context means not showing up at a building, a church building, rather than intentionally distancing yourself from the gathering on purpose, if you believe that it means not showing up to a church building, you see, that's presentism. Presentism is where you take the present circumstance and you map it over the past. That's why I was saying tongue-in-cheek a while ago that Paul was in a red brick rectangular building with a steeple on top, and they met three times a week, Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. I was doing that back then. It was presentism. As I was taking my preference, my convenience standard, my situation that I love so much, and and. I was mapping that over Scripture. If you believe forsaking means not showing up at a building somewhere, a structure. If you believe that, then you're misinterpreting this passage. Forsaking, it means exactly what it says. You are intentionally distancing yourself from, you're abandoning this. And if you believe that not showing up to a physical building, by the way, if you, if you believe that's the passage, then you're going to bind many believers who aren't able to show up at that physical structure, like shut-ins or people with medical conditions to where they can't get out of bed. They're under uh, some kind of illness. You will bind them because now you're saying you've abandoned the faith. You abandoned assembling together when they haven't done it at all. There is no biblical case. There is no biblical case for lacking a desire to gather. We all should desire to gather. And you can sense from this text in Hebrews 10 that gathering is not a low priority to the faithful. A desire to gather is one way that you affirm that God regenerated your soul. As John said in another place in in 1 John 4, 20, if if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For, For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. There is no question that it is affirmation that you are regenerated because you want to gather. You want to be with the body of Christ. 
this or exhortation in Hebrews to gather is where you want to be careful. If forsaking the assembly in the interpretation that you're doing Zoom meetings or you're forsaking the assembly, if that's the end-all, be-all in that not meeting in a building or not meeting on a regular schedule is a sin, then you might think the person who never misses a church meeting is the pinnacle of the Christian faith. Obviously, he is the pinnacle of Christian faith because he shows up at the building every Sunday, every Wednesday night, every Sunday night. And then there could be a believer who cannot meet, for example, due to physical impediments or as a shut-in, but their faith could not be more robust. And so you want to be careful that this idea of presentism, where we always have to do it this way, there will never be a situation on this side of heaven where the church will will forsake gathering. But here's the thing. Will they gather the way that we always have gathered? Well, that that has changed throughout church history. We have enjoyed a long run of gathering in a church building, and we enjoy that. And I love that, and I don't want that to change. But if it does change, the church, you and me, we will not forsake assembling, though we may do it differently. If you'd like to talk about this podcast, please jump on our website. I'd love to chat with you about it. Thanks for listening. You have been listening to Life Over Coffee with Rick Thomas. If you have a question for Rick, you can let him know by sending him a note through his website, rickthomas.net. That's rickthomas.net. Thanks for listening. Enjoy your coffee.